0: to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. Very nice. Thank you, um, the band. And uh, putting that together. All to Jesus, I surrender. Oh, boy, what a beautiful day. What a beautiful day. I was a little late getting out this morning. I was in membership orientation in the back. So if I didn't get to meet you or shake hands, please come up and see me afterwards. Or if you have any questions about Jesus Christ and salvation, uh, by all means, come up and, and speak to us before you leave today. And as we open our Bibles to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. At this juncture, it has now become clear to any reader uh, that salvation has come to the Gentiles. Uh, That news must be relief, by the way, uh, to the original recipient of this letter, uh, a letter that was addressed to a Roman official named Theophilus. Uh, He too was a Gentile and uh, he had previously received another letter from Luke, which we know of as Luke's Gospel. And through reading that gospel of Luke, Theophilus observed uh, the life of Christ uh, from his birth uh, all until his death. And and he saw how Jesus had repeatedly uh, again and again called on the nation of Israel to repent and to believe in him and to accept him as their Messiah. Uh, But Israel, uh, as a nation... Refused to accept the Savior, instead they crucified Jesus on a cross. Still, uh, the events that followed, starting with, on the third day, Christ's resurrection from the dead, uh, but particularly at Pentecost, which was 50 days after Passover, um, those events that followed had exposed that there was a believing remnant in Israel, a portion of ethnic Jews, really thousands of them, we learn in the book of Acts, uh, who did embrace the preaching of the twelve apostles, uh, who did follow men like Peter, James, and John in receiving, in entering into the new covenant, which Jesus announced at the Last Supper uh, and during that final Passover meal. You'd find this in Luke chapter 22 and verse 20. Uh, This cup which is poured out to you, says Christ, is the new covenant in my blood. So in case you, you missed two weeks ago, uh, what I had emphasized, or perhaps you were just out of town, uh, what I emphasized quite strongly two weeks ago, uh, the new covenant, Hebrews chapter 8, Hebrews chapter 10, all over Hebrews, the new covenant was offered to Israel. And uh, there is a believing remnant of ethnic Jews who accept Jesus by faith and now in acts chapter 10 that same new covenant is by god's amazing grace extended to the gentiles by faith uh, beginning with Cornelius and his family theophilus would would realize that he now is accepted he's accepted by god through the shed blood of christ At Calvary, and uh, this same new covenant has also been offered to each of you who sit here this day. Uh, If you will believe that Christ died for your sins, that he rose from the dead, uh, taking the punishment for your sins, yet overcoming death through victory, um, if you accept by faith that he rose again on the third day, uh, you too are accepted by God. I expect many, perhaps most, of us here gathering uh, have embraced the promises of God in Jesus Christ through the new covenant. We discerned last Sunday one evidence would be that you have repented, that your life has turned, that, that you have turned from your sins to follow Jesus As all participants under the new covenant do. If you're wondering, what's all this talk about covenants the last few weeks? The covenant is an agreement between two parties. Through vows, marriage is a covenant between one man and a woman. Uh, The new covenant of God reflects God's promises of forgiveness of sins that are offered to man through the shed blood of Christ. Man's responsibility under this new covenant is to repent and to confess Lord, uh, Jesus as Lord. Repent of sins and confess Christ as Lord. And last week we learned it is God who, by His Holy Spirit, it is Him who grants this repentance. He gives you a heart that is repentant. And again, all participants under the new covenant repent. Uh, So uh, as this narrative continues now through the book of Acts, uh, you are going to notice a major difference between the old covenant, the old promises of God uh, made to the nation of Israel, to the Jews uh, that was received from God through Moses on Mount Sinai, in contrast to the new the new covenant or or new promises that both Jew and Gentile have received through Christ's uh, shed blood at Mount Calvary. There's quite a difference between what was offered at Mount Sinai versus Mount Calvary. Uh, Here is one major contrast. Under that old covenant, offered through Moses, given through Moses, announced through Moses, the nation of Israel at large remained unrepentant. And the nation, the population of the nation was repeatedly accused by God of having been habitually unfaithful. Most of Israel behaving uh, as an unbelieving harlot, we read in Scripture. You know the story of the prophet Hosea and uh, his wife Homer. Probably, if you remember, that Hosea was commanded to marry a prostitute who was unfaithful. And it was a picture of the unfaithfulness of Israel and the faithfulness of of God, uh, Therefore, when you read the Old Testament prophets, uh, you will find accusation after accusation against Israel. One typical rebuke, recorded in Isaiah chapter 30, just a typical rebuke, uh, documents God is saying to Israel, quote, Woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord, who execute a plan, but not mine, and make an alliance but not of my spirit in order to add sin to sin. In Jeremiah chapter 11 uh, verse 10 God says of Israel, quote, they've turned their back to the in- they have turned back rather. They have turned back to the iniquities of their ancestors. Who refuse to hear my words, and they've gone after other gods to serve them, the house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant, which I made with their fathers. So Israel had broken the covenant that was made with them. Uh, it is very important, by the way, for us to recognize that the old covenant was a conditional covenant. It wasn't a unilateral covenant like made with Abraham. The old covenant was a conditional covenant, uh, conditional on obedience of Israel. God's sworn blessings for that nation. They were conditional on Israel's obedience to the parameters of the covenant. They broke it. They crucified the Messiah. That's why you read into Hebrews uh, that the Old Covenant is obsolete. Israel forsook their covenant and their promises as they crucified Christ. And and the prophets reveal how the Old Covenant yielded little fruit among Israel, a nation described as Lord's vine and the Lord's vineyard, uh, that he had planted and he planted it in a promised land. But Jesus lamented how the vine dresser, that's referring to the Lord Yahweh, the vine dresser came to his vine, which was Israel, and searching for some fruit, couldn't find a single cluster of grapes. And under the old covenant, Israel is repeatedly accused by God of being unfaithful. Unfaithful. They broke the covenant. Boy, under the New Covenant, you're accused as well. You ready for this? Now you're accused. You know what you're accused of? If you are a recipient of the New Covenant, you are repeatedly accused of being faithful. Faithful. The church does not act like ancient Israel acted. Rather, the church is the bride of Christ, the the beloved of God. Uh, We are betrothed to Jesus. Uh, We are the bride, we are preparing ourselves, we are readying ourselves. We're longing for the husband to appear and for the wedding feast to begin we remain habitually faithful to Jesus under God's new covenant through His Son. Passage just popped in my head here, adding on a description of of how beautiful the church is. Ephesians chapter 5. As the Apostle Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, uh, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. That's what Christ does for his church. We remain faithful. How is that even possible? What makes the difference under the new covenant? Well, the difference is whether you are a believing Jew or a believing Gentile, under the promises of the new covenant, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Folks, the the pouring out of the Spirit at Pentecost changed everything. Today, Christ is Hebrews eight verse six the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. And, and this promise announced through the prophet Joel here it is: I will pour out my Spirit in those days. Of course, that was fulfilled. We read in Acts two verse eighteen. At Pentecost, we remain faithful because God God poured out His Spirit and the Spirit lives in us. Uh, It was poured out to the Jew first. Later, it's poured out upon the Gentiles. Acts 11, verse 15. And if you believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior today, you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. You have the Spirit of God in you. If we were a Pentecostal church, I would say, repeat after me. I've got the Spirit. Got the Spirit. Oh, That's kind of weird. <laughs> and today... We are going to see the Spirit of God in action through Barnabas in Acts chapter 11, uh, where he personifies a man who is full of the Spirit. Our title today is Barnabas, the Spirit in Action. As I now read... beginning in verse 19, Acts chapter 11, remember that believing Jews had been scattered from Jerusalem by persecution and initially preached the gospel to Jews alone. But now, in light of the developments following Peter's vision and the inclusion of Cornelius and the Gentiles, Jews have now begun to preach Christ to Greeks in a major metropolis Called Antioch. I throw a map up there. Antioch is the third largest city in the Roman Empire, trailing only Rome and Alexandria. It was situated about three hundred miles north of Jerusalem. It was way up there. That's quite a jaunt in those days. Um, it was a major hub, a major commerce hub. Uh, I told you previously that one estimate of Jerusalem's population uh, in the first century was about 100,000. Syrian Antioch may have peaked in the first century at 500,000. This is not a country town. It is a major metropolis. It was known for being vile. Had pagan worship of every kind, a uh, gross immorality. They even had ritual prostitution at the temple. And uh, our passage describes the birth of the infamous church in Antioch. Uh, this is the place where we will be first referred to as Christians. Reading from verse 9, take a peek there too. Tarsus is just across the way. You can see how close Tarsus is to Antioch, much closer than Jerusalem. And reading from verse 19, So then, those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews alone. But there were some of them, "'Men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch "'and began speaking to the Greeks also, "'preaching the Lord Jesus. "'And the hand of the Lord was with them, "'and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. "'The news about them reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem, "'and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. "'Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God,' "...Barnabas rejoiced and began to encourage them all with a, with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man, and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord." And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Wow. Verse 20 shows how it all began with the church in Antioch. It's going to become a base for missions uh, in the near future. Jewish believers uh, originating from the island of Cyprus, uh, uh, also some we are told from Cyrene, that is right on the north coast of Africa, they traveled to Antioch. I imagine they may have been merchants. We don't know why they were there, uh, but they travel to Antioch. They begin preaching to the Greeks. And the hand of the Lord, uh, that is citing God's sovereignty, the hand of the Lord had caused a large number to believe and turn to Jesus as Lord. Nobody knows who first founded this church in Antioch or the first Christian church of Antioch. It doesn't matter who founded it. What is noteworthy is that now even more Gentiles are getting saved. And once that news reaches the ears of the church in Jerusalem, uh, the church sent Barnabas to check it all out. An important question to be answered in this passage is, who sent Barnabas? It was the local church who sent out Barnabas. Um, you ask, why is that important? It's because the term there, uh, the term used or that we translate sent as ex apostello. It's the same Greek word as apostello uh, or apostle, and ex apostello and apost- apost- apostello, excuse me. Ugh. Ex apostello and apostello are terms used frequently throughout the New Testament to describe both the original 12 apostles, as well as virtually anyone who is sent bearing the gospel. The term is used in Romans 10, verse 14, where we read, quote, Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are Apostello, unless they are apostled, unless they are sent. Paul's conclusion, just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of good things. So the meaning of the word apostle, it's used broadly in the Greek New Testament. You just don't always see it in your English translation. It's right there in Acts 11 today, uh, uh, Barnabas was sent. The, the word simply means one who is sent. What distinguished the original 12, the 12 apostles plus, plus 12, uh, Paul, uh, is the identity of the one who sent them. For the original apostles who is re, who are referred to in different places as the 12 what distinguished them plus Paul is that the risen Christ appeared to them, himself chose them, and Christ personally sent them. Jesus described Saul as a chosen instrument of mind when he intervened on the road to Damascus. Uh, in Scripture, to distinguish between what the Bible describes as the twelve, or Christ's apostle plus Saul Uh, from all others who are sent to discern that we, we must discern who it is that does the sending in Acts chapter 11, verse 22. It was not Jesus who sent, but rather the local church who ex apostello or, or sends Barnabas to Antioch years later, the apostle Paul will send or Apostello Tychicus, is a messenger dispatched to Ephesus. That's 2 Timothy 4, verse 12. Uh, So Barnabas and Tychicus, and virtually anyone who is sent out by the church as a preacher of the gospel, who who has beautiful feet, and who, who carry the good news with them, could, in theory, be referred to as an apostle, one who's sent. Boy, I hope you see the difference. There's a very big difference. To, To minimize confusion, what the church has done historically, as we typically employ terms like missionary or evangelist, who is sent out from the church, sent out by a local church, and not personally dispatched by Christ. Barnabas is sent out to check out, verse 21, a great number of Greeks who had believed and turned to the Lord it doesn't appear that, that Barnabas was ever told to return to Jerusalem. Instead, he, he goes on to find Saul over in Tarsus. He stays, stays up in Antioch at least another year with Saul. And so I, I assume Barnabas just sent word back uh, through, through channels somehow to Jerusalem that everything was going great. Everything was going great. He probably texted them, you know, a big thumbs up emoji or something. Word got back, but Barnabas didn't turn around and go back. He stayed because everything in Antioch had started off so well. So well. Verse 23, when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, Barnabas rejoiced. He began to encourage them all with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. You know, finding no red flags, uh, Barnabas just jumped right in and began encouraging everybody. It's because that's what Barnabas does. You might recall from back in chapter 4, that's not his name. His actual name is Joseph. But the apostles gave him the nickname Barnabas because it means son of encouragement. That's what they called him, son of encouragement. So when he lands in Antioch, what does Barnabas do? He encourages. Well, even before that, he he rejoices at what he sees in Antioch. And that term rejoice describes someone who's cheerful, someone who's glad, someone who's celebratory at heart. The same word is used by the same writer, Luke, to describe in the Gospel of Luke the response of the father when he sees his prodigal son returning home. Father ran out to him. He, he embraced him. He, he kissed him. Said said, get him the best robe. Pull out all the stops, said the father. A ring and a sandals. My lost son has returned. He commanded that the fatted calf be killed. Let's eat, let's celebrate. Things are so great on this day. type of rejoicing describes the heart of Barnabas in Antioch. He, he was thrilled to walk in and see everything going so well. And there is a cause behind Barnabas' disposition. Verse 24 says that he rejoiced uh, because he was a good man and because he was full of the Holy Spirit and because he was full of faith. That, That construction there of the grammar in verses 23 and 24 assumes that there is a causal relationship between the two verses. Barnabas rejoiced for he was full of the Spirit and of faith. He encourages the church, verse 23, because, verse 24, he was full of the Spirit, and of faith. And in Antioch, Barnabas, he becomes the Spirit in action. It's because it is the Spirit within, which has caused the action. And the local church becomes the beneficiary of a, of that man's spirit in action. It is all for the church. Barnabas pours himself out for the church. You know, it is the same Holy Spirit who prescribes that expected behavior of to be practiced of all Christians who enter a local church. It was refe- revealed in our scripture reading Hebrews chapter ten and verse twenty four. Uh, there, the Spirit says, "Let us consider how to stimulate one another with love and good deeds." The yeah, Spirit in within wants some action. Doesn't want to sit on the bench. Doesn't want to be a spectator. The Spirit wants to be in the game. Wants action. Let let us consider how we are going to stimulate one another. How how we can find ways to intentionally stir up one another, provoke one another positively for the sake of love and good deeds. Folks, that is the purpose for which every spirit-indwelled believer enters a church building. Alistair Begg often says, you know, we exist to edify and multiply. He boiled down to those two simple words, edify and multiply. And the Holy Spirit within, He is the reason we are, Hebrews 10 verse 25, we're we're not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Well, yeah, it is the Spirit. It is the Spirit as the reason that we are edifying and multiplying and encouraging. We are Barnabasing one another. Barnabasing one another. And we don't know for sure who wrote that letter to the Hebrews. It, it is The author is anonymous or remained anonymous. But many believe the Holy Spirit directed Barnabas to write it. That that is possible. Uh, The writer of Hebrews uses language that is similar to the Apostle Paul, uh, with whom Barnabas spent much time. But we know it wasn't the Apostle Paul who wrote it. Barnabas was also a true Jew. So Hebrews would have embraced a letter from a fellow Hebrew uh, like Barnabas, a a fellow Israelite, they would have embraced uh, that letter as credible. In addition, Barnabas was a Levite by birth. We learned that back in chapter 4. He was a Levite by birth, so he would have surely understood the sacrificial system and and be able to supply all of the intricate detail of the priesthood, which he was weaving throughout the letter to the Hebrews. So, So we don't know for sure. But Barnabas surely is one who could have written that letter to his fellow Hebrews and written it with confidence. And we do know that Barnabas was an encourager, always stimulating and encouraging everyone to love and good deeds. Personifies him. Barnabas is personified personified as the spirit in action and as he arrived in Antioch he said to himself in his spirit I have arrived at this church with a purpose my purpose is to rejoice with these people in in the salvation that we share and to stimulate and encourage every single one of them to love and good deeds. That's what he does. It's Barnabas. The letter to the Hebrews reveals this as the purpose of our presence. Mutual stimulation and encouragement. It's the reason we exist. And the spirit within, remember the new covenant? What's better today? The spirit within is the source of rejoicing and encouragement and celebration, welcoming every prodigal son who returns to the father through those doors. Welcome home. Every son and daughter who refers, uh, returns to the father, kill the fatted calf. Let's dance. Not just yet. Folks, Barnabas is the son of encouragement. What should we call you? What should we call me? What would be your nickname? And since the minimum prerequisite for gathering for worship is to stimulate and encourage one another to love and good deeds, did you come scripturally prepared to worship your Father this morning? Is that how you walked in the door? Ready to worship Christ in a scriptural manner, do you qualify? You ever known someone who, uh, for like a decade, just can't offer any sincere encouragement to you in your life, no edification? They're not full of the Spirit. Or, or what about people who are rarely present on Sunday? Yeah, can you offer stimulation and encouragement to love and good deeds if you're habitually absent? From the body. Habitual absence becomes a source of discouragement to the flock. You can't claim to be with us and not with us. I remember talking to one man whose family over a prolonged period of time, you know, would typically miss three out of four Sundays a month. Surprisingly, he complained about how they could not connect with anybody. Habitual unfaithfulness does not describe people with the Spirit under the new covenant. You have to be here to connect. You must be here to edify. You've got to be present to multiply. And Barnabas was the first to preach, we must edify here if we want to multiply. In verse 24, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. That's the result. His positive presence was felt in the first Christian church of Antioch. Persons were drawn to Christ Considerable numbers were were won to faith through the mutual encouragement in that church. Some of you folks, you are such a positive presence. Incredible presence walking among us here. There there are some where when you miss a Sunday and you're out on vacation, it's, it's like you've robbed us. We, we miss the smile when we walk in. We miss the hug and the laughter and the joy. You're that good. I've had a handful of encouragers in my life. This is not a huge exaggeration. I have had a handful of encouragers in my life who are more valuable than gold. I am not exaggerating when saying that I would prefer to have 10 friends like Jerry Robertson than all the gold in Fort Knox. Those of you who remember Jerry know he was an encourager. This trip through this life is brief. I don't need more money. You can keep the goal. If you're surrounded by ten people like that, who are always encouraging, oh, life. What a joy we have found. Scripture assures men who want to get rich, they plunge into ruin and destruction. That's not an if. that's That's a declarative statement men who want to get rich will plunge themselves into ruin and destruction. Men with friends like Jerry remain resolute at heart and they stay true to the Lord. That's the truth. Paul would later write to the church in Thessalonica saying, you are witnesses and so is God. How devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we have behaved toward you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into, the, into his own kingdom and glory. Paul states that our encouragement to you was that you would walk in a manner that is worthy of God who calls you. Encouragement is extended so that you will walk in a manner that is worthy of the God who calls you. What greater purpose could we have for encouraging and coming in to encourage one another so that that other person will be able to walk in a manner which is worthy of the God who called them. Encouragement is offered, verse 23, by Barnabas with a resolute heart, saying, you will remain true to the Lord. And this is the second facet of the spirit in action through Barnabas. Spiritual edification Elevates and amplifies instruction and sound doctrine. You know, you can can learn theology in a pretty sterile environment. That's why people often refer to theological seminary as theological cemetery. (laughs) It's because you can memorize the five solas of Scripture. And you can debate the points of Calvinism without the Spirit, and without love. People do it all the time. The world has no shortage of spiritually dead people with diplomas hanging on the wall. So you can have doctrine without the Spirit. But the Holy Spirit, when He is in action, is not without doctrine. In verse 23, the thought is completed. With Barnabas, it is said, with a resolute heart, with sound determination, you have got to remain true to the Lord. And to remain true to Christ, the Spirit says, oh, you've got to pursue and maintain sound doctrine. And this is the reason why spirit-filled believers also go to Bible college and seminary. It's so they can study as to how to remain true to the Lord and not get carried away with every wind of strange doctrine. The spirit in action doesn't develop into a three-ring circus. So full of the spirit, Barnabas decided, uh, what we need here... Among all these unlearned Gentiles, this, this pagan, uh, the, the history of the pagans in, in Antioch, b- before things start to spiral out of control here, Barnabas said, What we need to establish here is a Bible college. A Bible college in Antioch. So Barnabas told them, You know, I know just the guy to be our first professor. Saul of Tarsus, that man has a a graduate degree in Old Testament theology. While those Gentiles in Antioch, they don't really know anything about the Old Testament. And those are the only scriptures that are in existence at this time. Gentiles in Antioch, they don't know what the Old Testament says. Think about when you first came to faith in Christ. Did you know anything about what the Old Testament says? Probably not. Plus, Barnabas remembered how Jesus told Ananias to go to Saul. This is back in Acts chapter 9, verse 15. Go to Saul, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles. Then how Saul, Acts 9, verse 27, Saul began speaking out boldly in Damascus boldly about Jesus in Damascus. Uh, So this is a no-brainer operation. Verse 25, Barnabas left for Tarsus. Remember where that was on the map? Barnabas left for, for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians. In Antioch. The Spirit in action, the Spirit in Barnabas said, You know, before this church goes any further, we're going to need to establish within these Gentiles what is and what is not sound doctrine. A local church cannot stimulate itself to love and to perpetuate good deeds if it does not know what love is or what good does. In membership orientation this morning, we had a quick, brief discussion about love and what expressions of love are, um, definition of God's love, and how true love is ultimately expressed in telling people that they are sinners separated from God in need of a Savior. That's love. In remaining true to the Lord and expressing true love, it's not Hollywood love. Rather than all love is love. 1 John 3.16 says, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So the Gentiles are in. And that first predominantly Gentile church is established in Antioch. And the Spirit in action uses Barnabas and Saul to establish sound doctrine So that those who are now called by the name of Christ for the first time, Christians, so they won't get swept back into the temple worship, drugged back into the pagan society, and preservation in Christ comes through encouragement and through the word, and this is the Spirit's work in us. People sometimes ask, maybe they've asked you, is yours a spirit-filled church? (laughs) Like, yeah, yeah, we are. You bet it is. Because under the new covenant, this church is Christ's bride consisting of men and women who will remain faithful until the end. The Spirit achieves this through mutual encouragement and stimulation to love and good deeds, so we must never forsake it. I'll say a few words about the term Christian probably next week. There is not a lot to say about it, um, but I believe it was a term coined by the pagan culture that was surrounding uh, the church in Antioch when they were saying boy those people are different those are some strange folks over there it's like they're it's like they're distinct from any other group we've ever seen praise god it is true and that by the pouring out of the holy spirit we are let's pray Father, as we can rejoice for the salvation that we have shared and, and that we continue to share with those who we engage in, with those in our community, in our family, uh, let that joy shine through. Let us be encouragers that uh, your church might increase. May you, may you grow the bride through our work and through your spirit and, and through the precious people that you have, have given here at Port St. Lucie Bible Church. And as we look at that church in Antioch, a brand new church springing up in life, and then you sending in the encourager himself to strengthen them and to build them up. Father, let that be said of us. Let us be encouragers. Let us stimulate one another to love and good deeds and rejoice. And may everyone around us see it and tell us that we're strange. According to your grace, we pray. Amen.